Promising new findings about an antiviral drug for COVID-19. Will it reduce the severity of the disease? Also, new data confirms an increased risk from COVID-19 for people with a history of cancer, an important reminder of the role we all have in helping protect those at risk from coronavirus. And finding cancer with a blood test. We reviewed the early results of a new study of liquid biopsy. I'm David Sampson, and this is The Follow-Up, a podcast of the American Cancer Society. And this week, I'm joined once again by Dr. Len Lichtenfeld, Deputy Chief Medical Officer. Good morning, Len. Leading the news this week, we heard about a, a drug, Remdesivir, developed for other sorts of antiviral uses that we had some early results on. Did you have a chance to look over some limited data on that? Well, good morning, David. And um, yes, the data is limited. And yes, I've had a chance to take a look at it. Uh, remdesivir is a, a drug that was developed to treat viral infections, but it never, uh, basically never got to market. Not because it wasn't successful, but because it turned out that the viruses it was designed to treat really didn't cause a problem. But because of that history, it's been uh, rolled out in a sense to, to treat patients with advanced uh, COVID-19, the, the illness that comes from coronavirus infection. And there was a report this week, it was a bit of an unusual report, but it was a report that uh, suggested remdesivir does have some benefit in treating patients with advanced COVID-19 illness. Well, well that, and, and that's encouraging. We haven't really been able to drug this virus uh, now, H how significant, I mean, this is just one study, right? How, but how significant are those results? Well, it, it is one study because almost at the exact same time these results were announced, there was another study that came out of China in advanced uh, COVID-19 patients that showed no benefit. Mm. So um, this study, you know, is, is um, it's any, you know, when, you, when you're in a situation where you have nothing to offer, anything becomes exciting. Mm -hmm. and. I would characterize the study as important in the sense that it moves us a step down the line to getting better treatment. But um, as many people have noted, it's, it's, it is an advance, but it's not what one would call a, a curative treatment for this disease. And um, that's where some of the, shall we say, some of the tension is between the report and the impact, the actual impact this drug is going to have. And Dr. Uh, Anthony Fauci, who runs the NAID, said not only were the, the results positive and encouraging, he said, it, it, it. I think what excited him the most was showing that this was a druggable, I guess that's the term you guys use in, in medicine, that there may be some opportunities here that it may not be this drug, but it shows that there is a possibility here. Are there other diseases where that, that's been the, uh, been the path to uh, better treatments? Well, well, when you look back and you look at the history of AIDS, and Dr. Fauci was very involved in, in uh, developing treatments for AIDS, and he's acknowledged that as well, you started at a point. Uh, we tend to forget today how terrible disease AIDS was when it first struck us in the latter part of the 20th century. Uh, we had nothing to offer when we, and I was actually a, a younger physician at that time, we would be there and watch young patients die from that disease. And today, we have treatments for AIDS that are obviously uh, much better and able to allow people to lead a, a normal life. So it's in that context that the Dr. Fauci made, made the point that this is a proof of concept. It moves us forward. What, what the study actually showed, 
the primary uh, goal of the study was to take a look at patients in advanced disease to see what uh, remdesivir did in terms of shortening the course of the disease. And it did that. It showed that in the group that got the drug, um, the, the time to recovery was 15 days. And then the group that, uh, uh, or the group that got the drug, the time to recovery was 11 days rather. And then and the group that did not get the drug, it was 15 days. So it met that endpoint. It also showed that there was a reduction in deaths from uh, COVID-19. It went from 11% of that population to 8%. Now that's 3% uh, difference. Uh, it did not meet what we call statistical significance, but it was pretty close. Um, and you know they're going to have to do further studies to determine whether this actually improves outcomes uh, or just simply uh, uh, speeds up recovery. This was uh, this information is only from a news release and from uh, Dr. Fauci sitting in the Oval Office. We don't have much insight into this trial at this point. We are still waiting to get some. Uh, what shall we say, better better information about the trial, whether it be a peer-reviewed journal, detailed report. So everyone's uh, looking at limited information, uh, trying to make conclusions, but I think it's important we understand uh, what those conclusions mean and put it into perspective. There are clearly more trials that are going to come. This is part of an adaptive trial. There will be changes made to the trial, and I, we have no doubt that uh, NIH and uh, National Institutes of Health and many other organizations are going to pursue this clue. I, I have a maybe a naive question, but uh, we've seen it before. When a new therapy comes out, how do you, and it shows some improvement, how do you ethically do a placebo-controlled trial after that point? I'm going to leave that to the trial investigators to make those decisions and also the ethicists because that is a significant and important question and it's one that is currently top of mind for many researchers who are looking at treatments in this disease. Uh, the problem of course is if you don't do a controlled trial or if you don't compare one treatment to another treatment, you, don't, you really don't know if you're making a difference unless that difference is substantial. We, we had been down this path in cancer medicine, and we made some mistakes along the way. We thought that historical controls could tell us the answers, you know, if we just had a new treatment compared to what people did in the past. And that led us down a number of paths that proved to be, shall we say, not, I like to use the word false, but let's just say they weren't uh, uh, the advances we thought they were. So maybe this trial is going to offer us that a comparison opportunity to use it as the baseline group, shall we say, when we try something that's different. Mm -hmm. We talked last week about the uh, cancellation of the in-person meetings and AACR had the first of the digital meetings this week. And the big news coming out of it was uh, how the COVID-19 disease progresses in cancer patients, cancer patients having a worse outcome. Uh, it, it may not be surprising, but it certainly is not encouraging. It must be a difficult thing for cancer patients to be reading this week. What, what are your thoughts on that study? I think we have to bear in mind that, that there were several studies reported. One study was published, and that's the, the study for which I have the information at hand, and it's been peer-reviewed. So I have, uh, you know, it's been carefully looked at. Uh, I think we have to keep uh, keep things in perspective. This is one study in one place, and, and it's not the definitive answer. We still need to look at more patients. But yes, uh, the, the information was troubling. So the, they, they looked at uh, two groups of patients. They looked at 105 patients with cancer, 
uh, in, in hospitals in Wuhan, China, which was the epicenter of the outbreak of the terrible outbreak that occurred in China. And they looked at 536 other people and they, what we call matched controls. So this is an observational study. And they looked at what happened to the cancer patients versus the patients who didn't have cancer who were in the hospital. And the death rates for cancer patients were uh, about 2.3 times higher um, for certain diseases, particularly the what we call the blood cancers, uh, lymphoma, leukemia, myeloma, um, they had very small numbers, but uh, one-third of the, the patients, three out of nine patients died. Um, lung cancer patients had a, a higher incidence of death, and patients who had spread of, the, of their cancer, metastatic disease to the lung, uh, uh, death was higher. There, there are other interesting things here that, that didn't get so much press. So, for example, if, if a cancer patient was in the hospital and didn't have COVID-19, bottom line, if you were in the hospital with cancer and you went in without COVID-19, you had a 10 times greater risk of getting COVID-19 mm-hmm. compared to another patient, inpatient in the hospital who did not have cancer. And, 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 that, and that, that's something that's, that's yeah. troubling. Yeah, that's, and that's something we've been talking about, how cancer uh, patients and people with a history of cancer have to take uh, you know, h- higher precautions. This is a small study, as you mentioned, so I, and so we, there could be other factors here, right? This may, it may not be as dire as it sounds, even though, of course, you would expect something like this. You would expect it um, based on history and uh, experience with other diseases. I mean, I've been around when a um, long time ago. When people with shingles, so people with shingles, we don't think it goes from person to person. But I was in a cancer program at the National Cancer Institute back in the 1970s, and we reported that if we had a patient came in our outpatient clinic with shingles, we had the occurrence of multiple other cases of shingles, and it happened on several uh, uh, several times. So we reported the fact that in cancer clinics, shingles can be uh, a communicable disease where it's not normally thought to be that. I've been in situations where we moved into a new hospital wing and uh, suddenly our patients with leukemia started getting a fungus infection called aspergillosis. And it turned out that the, aspergill- the, the, the fungus was in the spray insulation. It was a new building. That doesn't normally happen to typical people in the hospital. It happened to patients with leukemia and advanced lymphomas. So you, you know that, that these things have occurred, uh, and that's why it's so, so important about when cancer patients come together in a single place, maybe a clinic or maybe in the hospital, why we have to take extra special precautions to keep them safe. Um, and, and that's and not going to change anytime soon. We're, we're still in the midst of this. And it occurs to me that this is something to keep in mind as states are now free to reopen. Uh, that we really need to think of the most vulnerable among us before we get too far down the road there. We sure do. And I've said it many times uh, before in multiple places. Um, We have to make sure that patients with cancer, and even with a history of cancer, in Wuhan, for example, they found that patients who were three years out from treatment still had a higher risk of getting COVID-19. Others have not seen that. And and by the way, that differed. The radiation therapy patients apparently didn't have quite the problem that patients who had gotten chemotherapy. But having said that, no matter what, here's the general principle. If you're a patient with cancer, take care, take precautions, be careful and be aware. We've said that before, it can't be said enough because until this is all settled out, um, cancer patients are at, or patients with cancer, I should say, are at a higher risk 
uh, of, of uh, complications of coronavirus. Absolutely. And I think what I was getting at was it's, let's not put the onus just on people with cancer. We all have a responsibility here. States are opening up, such as here in Georgia. We found that out yesterday. Um, and uh, some people, you know, some people are, have cabin fever. I get it. And a lot of people think, well, we've, we've done our job for the last month or six weeks and, and people have done their job. They've, they, they've sheltered in place. They've been careful. Mm -hmm. But now people think, you know, the, the danger's over. We can go to the beach. We can, don't have to worry about wearing a mask. We can do what we want to do. We can go to the gym. The, the governors are telling us we can do that. Um, I hope they're right. I fear they're not. Um, and uh, I don't say that lightly. I think, personally, I think we still have to be extremely cautious. This disease is not going to go away anytime soon. Um, there was a report today that suggested it's going to go on for about two years. Uh, that may be long. Uh, it really depends on when the vaccine is developed or effective treatments are developed, but it might, might not be outside the realm of possibility. And all during that time, it's still so, so, so important that we take care of ourselves and be careful. It's not just taking care of ourselves and families. What we do impacts what happens to other people, people we don't even know and will never know that we had a negative impact if you're a carrier and you affect someone else you don't know who goes on their way and affects somebody else. Nobody wants to even think that that could possibly happen, but it can. Now, despite all the COVID news, there was some news about cancer this week coming out of the AACR meeting, a technology that people are calling liquid biopsy, a blood test to detect cancer's DNA in your bloodstream before things like mammograms or colonoscopies can find it. Uh, some early results, about a year of results here. It sounds pretty exciting. It's what we've all been striving for. What do you think of the results, Len? So I think it's an important study. Um, I think it showed that we can do the, the test and we can find cancers early, but it also shows we have a long way to go. Mm -hmm. But in this particular study, they started off with 10,000 people between 65 and 75. They had 26 situations, 20, 26 people where they said the blood test would have found the cancer early. But uh, the reality was that in this study, um, 11 of the patients developed symptoms of cancer before the blood test result came back. Mm. And of the 15 who, where the blood test found the cancer early, quote unquote, many of them were found with what we call uh, protein marker tests. And those are tests like CE, what we call CEA or CA125 that have been around for a long time. Tests that we currently use. Tests, well, we don't use them. We use them to monitor disease. Ah. We don't use them to find disease. And that's a big difference because we have tried to use them to find disease early. And for the patients at average risk, they have not been very successful. So even among, you're saying even among the, the, the people, the cancer cases that were found by this blood test, the ones that were unique to this test was really a handful, it sounds like, out of the 10,000. It, it was a handful. Uh, we still have a long way to go. And we will get there, but we're not there yet. It's exciting work. I hope we continue to uh, pursue that. Uh, challenging times. Len, thanks again for your time today. Thank you. The follow-up is a production of the American Cancer Society. Remember, you can get help 24 hours a day, seven days a week on our helpline at 1-800-227-2345 or visit our website, www.cancer.org. Thanks for joining us.